Welcome back, Wanderer, to the corner of story and game. Today we embark on a narrative journey with Mario Mergola. Mario is a narrative designer and a professional writer in a variety of media. With a passion for storytelling and an authentic love of games, Mario is bound to leave his mark on the world of narrative design. And as a fellow student of the narrative department masterclass, Mario brings a fresh perspective and a hunger for knowledge. Join us as we explore Mario's quest to establish himself as a narrative designer, navigating the challenges, seizing the opportunities, and uncovering the secrets of the video game industry. Mario, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Joe, for having me. This is an honor and a privilege, honestly, to be on this side as someone who has listened from many, many times as the Wanderer side. So thank you. It was only a matter of time, buddy, before I cornered you and held you down and made you answer my questions. Appreciate it. Okay, so before we jump in, or today we're here to talk about your interesting career and the various things that you do. And and it's not often that I get to talk with somebody who comes at games more from a uh, a journalistic and a sports and an editorial and other field space and then come into the gaming industry. So before we get started, though, how did you fall in love with games? How did you get into gaming? Tell me a little bit of your backstory, your journey, and your origin story. So I appreciate this because I actually have to derail you right away. Uh-oh. Because because I I greatly admire how you set this up. And it's not just the question, but it's the it's the world that we're playing in right now, right? So you have given us a scene where I'm the character, you're a character, but you've also found the theme of my life. And this is only from the conversations we've had you know, in the last couple of months, which has been a pleasure, but you found the theme and then you gave us an audience, right? So you put us down sitting in front of the fire with the wanderer, right? It's me and you talking, engaging in conversation, mm-hmm. crackling fire. We probably even feel the heat on our skin at some point. I sure. And you just straight up say, let's go, let's get into it, right? But what you did behind the scenes that I, I want to shine a light on because it should be appreciated is you found that like foundational piece and trunk and you planted it and in this case for me it is it is video game storytelling narrative player experience right and you you watched for me how that like has grown over the years and continuously branch off in different directions and always come back to the main trunk mm-hmm. so you set up this scene in an open world game where we're sitting down and the open world game is just life Mm-hmm. Right? Like life is an open world game and we're we're in a sea in the middle of it. So I appreciate that because you found that without me having to, you know, spell it out or lay it out, which again, I, I appreciate that as the wanderer when I'm listening to your show and now as someone as the character. So it's very cool. Um, and what I've also learned is that like, I used to say that my life was tangential. That was a big word I said all the time. It was like, oh, I go off on tangents, whether it's what I do or how I talk. Um what I've learned is that the actual phrase for that is branching storylines, branching narratives, right? Like, like life is also a, a branching narrative. Um, you know, so, so for me, starting 20 years ago, sitting in a, at a classroom desk, taking the PSATs, which I don't even know if they take anymore, um, filling out like the initial questions and, and it's just, you know, name, address, uh, what do you want to major in? I was like, what do I want to major in? I have no idea. Like, is professional baseball player? a major, uh, which it was not. Um, so I'm cycling through the options. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, computer science, computer engineering pop up in my mind. It's like, those are, that's what I want to do. And again, with no, with no background 
of which one to choose. I'm, I, I'm vaguely thinking I don't want to get into programming, which put a pin in that. Uh, I want to, but I want to create, like I want to build stuff. Engineers build and I wanted to build computer games. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you think that you set off from there and life is linear, <laughs> which it is not. Um, so I get into college, start taking my computer engineering classes. I don't have many regrets in my life. I think one of them is that I eventually changed from computer engineering to civil engineering. Um, and it was because the the content of the class wasn't what I thought. I Again, I wanted to build games. I didn't think I was ever going to get there in that path. Um, civil engineering at the time just landed better on me. At the same time, I'm writing for the first time. And I'm writing because, again, as a person who views himself as as just tangent after tangent after tangent, writing is the, the medium for me that can bring all those things in. And so you mentioned sports. Mm-hmm. I mentioned playing baseball. Hey, I love I love sports. I love baseball. I love football. Um, and I started by writing just funny, lengthy emails to friends, and really, really falling in love with like being able to get a reaction out of people I knew. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this work, but Bill Simmons was a, was a big time ESPN writer 15, 20 years ago. And he was really, him and Matthew Barry were both very good at just kind of throwing format away. And I'm coming from someone who, I'm a big rules person, I'm a big systems guy. I like math, I like science. Um, and I, I viewed writing that it almost had to be in that form. You know, follow this, this is this. Mm-hmm. And seeing these people just throw away format and title bullet points, things like, here's what's going to happen that no one thinks is going to happen, but it'll probably happen. And kind of laughing at that and being like, wow, that was such a, a freeing moment to be able to write whatever whatever message you want to get out there. So, so now I'm living, again, parallel branches here of writing and wanting to make games, but not knowing how to make the games not even knowing if I could be a writer. I, I actually like walked into Columbia University one day. It was like, hey, if I wanted to take writing classes here, could I do it? And they're like, that's a cute request, but not really. Go back home. Uh, so I did. <laughs> um, but at the same time, kind of learning that I can make all these paths. So I, I actually did get an internship and eventually a job at ESPN Radio. So I'm doing all these different things that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I just can't figure out how to kind of bring them back home. Um, and then eventually years go by and I, I leave ESPN, um, but I'm writing my own articles and I'm writing, I started my own website and it's, it's, it's take your own, make your own path as best you can. Um, and then I get to a point where this is now about six years ago. And I'm like, boy, I have, I have now, I've, I've now learned coding, which I didn't think I was going to like. I have now been writing religiously, which I didn't even know was a thing I could do. Um, I just want to make the game. Like, that's what I wanted to do. You know, whatever it was at that point, 10, 15 years ago, I don't know. Um, and I got, I honestly, I say this all the time through my life. I feel like I missed a couple of things timing wise. Like if game design were, were a program when I was there, that would have been the program. It wasn't, you know, if narrative design, uh, really were the field that was taking off at the time, I would have applied for those jobs. I didn't. Um, and this time timing smiled upon me. There was one opening for a game writer. I contacted the person. I think I even said, like, I'll 
put together all the barks you need. I'll just start writing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, and really got fortunate with the timing. So it worked. She took me on. Um, I have worked with, with uh, her and her team ever since then. Um, and the irony is still doing a lot of the branching things, still enjoying the fact that I can, I can be myself in all these different avenues of life, but kind of rooted to that. Like, I want to create, I want to create games. That's fantastic. Man. Yeah. So in order to do that, you had to have been driven by a passion that started somewhere in the beginning, but this love of games that's embedded in us. Where did that come from for you? So I'm going to, I'm going to laugh at myself because anyone who knows, knows me as a child would make fun of me. I was the guy who read all the rules in every board game. Um, the board game would open, they would hand me the sheet and they would be like, what do we do? Uh, which I, you know, as a 10 year old kid was probably something that like, I didn't want to be known as until it became apparent that like those rules were something I actually embraced because that's what created the parameters for whatever we were making. And I was a big, big, big Lego player, Lego builder, um, as are my kids now. I love Legos, still do. And those things like combine nicely, right? Like it's putting together things within a, within a confined space. Um, and then of course, Growing up and like as when I was super young, wasn't allowed to play video games too much. As I got older, you know, here's a little bit more, here's a little bit more. Uh, and it really was that like high school to college, you know, time where, first of all, it's really when you have more time than you realize when you look back as an adult, right? And and I have I have games upon games behind me that like I just kept buying in high school and college. I just kept playing and, and you know, the love of of just like, honestly, just having fun within the the rules of what's there. So if the game were, you know, were portal, like I would just put a portal on the floor, put a portal on the ceiling and just fall through it for five minutes and just enjoy <laughs> that I could do that because I yeah. could do that. So it was really exploring what was possible within the confines of everything. And that became a passion, you know, That's it's cool. something that you love doing. So it, it almost sounds like a part of you is, is as much a game designer as a writer. You, you enjoy the mechanics and how they interact and the, the rule set. Very much. And like, that's why I, I made that comment about kind of breaking away from programming and feeling like I wasn't going to do programming and then eventually came back to it and really liked it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was, I guess what I've learned is like, it's less about what you're contributing to the final product of the game. It's what you're contributing to the production of the game. Right. And I, I love writing and like most people, like, I think I'm good at writing. I've done it for a long time and I've gotten better as I've gotten older. You know, and I found things that I, I, I specifically lean on in my writing. Um, but really at the end of the day, like I'm not making, I'm not making a novel. I'm making a collaborative project. Mm-hmm. So what piece can I contribute to it? So I mentioned the, the, you know, the systems and the design and the rules um, because they're, they're just another piece with the writing that form the puzzle. And that puzzle is the end project, is the end game. You mentioned the games you played as a child, your love of Lego and and um, building and exploring and playing inside of rule sets. Have you found that the emotional experiences you had in those uh, activities translate to the games you play now? Yes, in the like childhood cackle. Like I find that right now, if I play a game, and I laugh, like, I just, like, have that moment where I'm just, like, ah, I can't believe I did that. Like, that brings me such joy. And I think those moments are very cool because they're not scripted. 
So the times that I can get that that feeling of just like how silly that was, you know, like I tripped over something and my character fell or, um, you know, I, I want to say something like that, like you're playing a, a, a shooter and you like you drop the grenade without realizing it and you just can't scatter fast enough and you end up flying across the screen. Like it's those moments of just unscripted laughter that really, really, really tie back to, you know, when you're a kid and like, I mentioned this to my kids the other day, we were watching the Super Bowl. I, um, I, I found cheat codes in Madden many years ago with my friend. And we went from playing, you know, your serious Madden games every day to playing with the most ridiculous, like you could jump 50 feet in the air and like, you, you know, you could, you could run at the speed of, light. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I remember trying to block a field goal where you could essentially soar through the air. And it was just so silly. And so like, you know, cackle inducing that like, that's what you do. That's why you're there. That's, that's, so that's like not the emotional part. That's the like underneath it all. We're still kids playing a game part of it. Okay. So that moment when you finally decide, Hey, I'm going to get into games and you saw that opening and you grabbed it. What was that experience? Like, what were you feeling then? Great question. So the, the moment before I got into games, the moment that, that kind of reset my, my branch back into it, um, was playing Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain is probably one of my favorite games I've ever played. And there's a, I think, I got it, I think, I got it before I had kids. Um, I think I played this part when my oldest was a baby. And I say this because it matters for the emotional tie-in. Um, there's a part in the game where you have to choose to kill a character in order to essentially achieve your goal. And I, uh, to this day, still think about that, like, constantly. And I remember putting the controller down and, and saying to myself, like, you're not, you're not going to reload this game. You're not going to go back to it. You're picking a path and you're sticking with it. And it, it racked me. It really did. Um, and it bothered me out of the game and in the game. And when I, when I walked away from that, um, just that, that, like, that experience of doing it, that was when I was like, okay, this is why I wanted to make games 10 years ago. And this is why I want to find a place to do it now. Um, and that's what really pushed me into doing it, pushed me into finding the spot. Um, and then the funny part is when I got it, right? When, like when we went back and forth and the creative director was like, yes, it's yours. Go ahead. Um, I looked at it very different than when you're writing something from scratch, right? When you're writing something, you look at the blank screen and you say to yourself, where do I start? And sometimes it's research, which is a nice, easy way to move the process along without writing. Uh, and in this case, it was like, let's review everything that was there already and do something with it. And I I could still hear myself saying it. It was late at night. It was probably after midnight and like the house is quiet. I'm sitting downstairs at the living, at the uh, dining room table with my laptop and I'm just staring at the screen and there's all these words on it that I didn't write. And I stood up and I walked around and I like, where, where do I begin? Like I took on this, this job. I, I should be able to do it. And I sit back down at the dining room chair and I'm like, you are a game writer now. You are a narrative designer now. You are the person that you wanted to be 10, 15 years ago. So you just have to do it. And that was so powerful to like, not ask the question anymore, not ask permission anymore, like just go. And then once that, what you know, once that happens, it's the same thing as taking a mic page and putting words on it. It's done. You, you know, you type one word and you're a writer. So 
it was that it was it was that like this is what i wanted to do this is where i went i came back this was the emotional part that was like no you have to do this and then i did it and i was in wonderful yeah that's the return part of the hero's journey very very much it's honestly the return part of the branch right like that's that's the part that um again like branching narrative like why why it's something that appeals to so many people is because even if you don't think you gained anything in the context of the game you gain something in the context of knowledge Correct. some people like when you when you click through the other paths in mass effect like you're not yeah you may you may not be gaining actual skills but you're just hearing a line of dialogue gives you some context, gives you some knowledge. And the next time you come back into the main path and the main story, you're like, I'm a little better off than I was five minutes ago. And that's really what it is in life. Mario, you're deep, dude. Like, <laughs> just figured like, out you didn't, to, like you didn't know this, Gerald. You just figured out how to apply branching narrative to life. <laughs> My pleasure. So cool. Um, okay, so you got into the industry, you're writing. But let's full disclosure, we met through uh, Susan's masterclass, the narrative department. So you're obviously working on improving your skills. You have totally goals. You have objectives. You're still driving the bus. Where are we going? Where is Mario heading here? So that's uh, I, I found this to be pretty interesting with other people I've talked to in the narrative department. So many of us and I say us because obviously I was one of these people. We are writers on a team where we're the only writer at, at a given time. And it's very project-based where, where your goal is to create a deliverable. You deliver it and you move on to the next one. And you don't actually know how good the craft is other than it being a, an accepted deliverable. It's almost like a pastel grade, right? It's not, it's, not an a, it's not an A, B, C, D. It's I pass the test, here it is, and I move on. And I think for, for many of us, we want to make sure that we are giving a material as much as possible. Um, and that really was what started the narrative department uh, kind of journey for me, um, as well as honestly, just just wanting to do more, wanting to take the next step, build bigger things, uh, build more things. Um, like I said before, we all go off on these tangents, on these branches, and mm -hmm. it, it's uh, it's a little scary to believe that there's after you've lived it, it's a little scary to believe that one branch is going to carry you like perfectly straight up. It's just not the way it works. Yeah. So I think our thing is as many branches as we can like strengthen and thicken as we go, that's what we want to do in life. And that's, that's where I am right now is just however many things I can make better for myself, uh, better for my experience and, you know, deliver on some really cool projects. That's a great attitude, bud. Thank you. So you, you write in other fields um, yes. professionally. I'm curious, what tools or techniques have you learned from all the other things that you write that you can apply to games? Okay, so I tell everybody this. Everybody, if you want to write, you, you cannot let the act of writing get in the way of your writing. Meaning the physical tapping of a keyboard, the setting aside the time for it, it can't be a thought. It absolutely needs to be the same thing like like walking or talking or chewing. You don't, you know, I, hockey players, hockey players don't think about ice skating. They, that's second nature to them. So what I, what I did in that, you know, in those college years, 
uh, I committed to writing every single day. And I'm now, actually, it was, it was a little after college. I'm now like uh, coming up on 11 years straight in March that I have not missed a single day of writing. Um, and I, I the, the website I use is 750words.com. So I write 750 words every day. I've got 11 years going. Um, and it was just for the practice of mm-hmm. typing. And, you know, and what's really helped with that is when an article request has popped up, the answer is always yes. You know, unless I'm doing another article at the same time, yeah, I could do it because I don't have to worry about the writing of it. That's going to be half hour of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the skill, the real skill is writing. And I don't mean writing quality. I mean, writing as a system that you would just be able to produce, produce, produce. I was going to ask that 750 words, is that stream of consciousness? Is that it directed as something? Ah, that's a great question. It is mostly stream of consciousness. And I actually tell people that, like, I don't care. I, I, most of the time, I'm, I'm not writing like gibberish, like they're, they're real words, mm-hmm. but they're almost like journalistic entries. It's just to make sure that I know I'm getting back to a computer. Sometimes it's on my phone, but I'm getting back to typing words every day. Uh, mostly stream of consciousness, but there's an article or a, a you know, video game writing assignment. Like, I like that because then I could, you know, apply the exercise to something valuable, but it's not necessary for me. It's just type, type, type. Yeah. Have you ever tried, um, do you ever do it longhand or on the flip side, do you ever use voice to text, like Dragon Dictate or something? I tried voice to text. Um, I found that I appreciated the typing better because now I type fast enough that when I use voice to text, I probably have to go back and edit it at the same pace that I could have written it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's I, I've tried other other tricks, but yeah, it's just to be able to type through it, I found for me. And honestly, something that I thought was cool that I learned along the way is keyboards matter. Which keyboard you're using really matters. Um, and I have some laptops that I just don't like typing on as much as like those kind of tall clicky buttons. I feel like there's some more, maybe it's just tactile response. I don't know, but I feel better finding the backspace key and you know, you, you get in those habits. Um, another thing I, I also come from an editorial background. I used to run a newspaper and work in magazines and the habit of deadlines. Yes. Is that something that drives you as well? hundred percent. That was my other note that, that I was sure we we're going to get to. Um, cannot miss a deadline and that's it. I'm like, sounds dramatic, but when I, so I've hired writers as well mm-hmm. for, for the websites that I've made. Um, and at first my like, you know, you sit back and you're thinking to yourself, what do I want in the perfect writer? Well, I want someone who can write well. I want someone in my case, who's going to give accurate information. Um, and if you're going to give predictions, you really should have some track record of success. Right. And I found that all three of those things actually mean nothing if the writer can't make the deadlines. So please, please, if you're listening, if you're the wanderer sitting next to us and you want to be a writer, you have to place deadlines above anything else. And I even include quality. That doesn't mean you should throw out slop, but putting bad writing out there is better than not putting anything. Yep. You you must, must hit the deadline. So yeah, that's number one across the board. Yeah, I'm sure past, you know that. I'm sure, yeah. As a past editor, it's harder to fill those column inches with nothing than with stuff I just got to clean up at the last minute, 100%. Yep. Yeah. When I finally got out of editorial and I no longer had deadlines, I found that I actually, that was the only time where I had trouble writing every day was 
I didn't have deadlines anymore. So suddenly it was like, why should I write? And then I had to refine it internally. But yeah, deadlines, man. They yeah. And honestly, sometimes too, deadlines could be a time of year as well. And not like some arbitrary thing. Um, but I find that like during the holidays, it's it's harder to do stuff. So if you could remind yourself, hey, this needs to be done by, let's say, Thanksgiving. It's not some arbitrary choice. It's because I know from Thanksgiving on, I'm going to be running from place to place to place. So right. use something else as your driving force, but like, you know, make it, make it a, make it a goal, a target goal of time. Do major sporting events also generate deadlines for you? Do you have to? Oh, rate? yes. Um, when, I mean, obviously when I'm doing something that is, that is based on time sensitive. Yes. Playoffs um, kind of thing. Playoffs. Yeah. But, but it's similar to that same point. As soon as January hits, I always know my writing schedule is going to open up tremendously because the regular season of football is over. Right. So anything I'm writing goes from, if it's as again, thinking about a season where I'm doing heavy football writing goes from 16 games to six to four to two to one, you know, 16 games in a week to basically 13 games over a month is just a huge cavern of space. So yeah, it, it works opposite in August. I'm always like, Hey, time to get ready. Not to get into the weeds on that whole uh, industry and that li- living that lifestyle, but that is, there's also financial considerations when your income is tied to how many words you're putting out and suddenly there's, there's that crunch, but totally. that's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're here to talk about fun stuff. Agreed. Um, okay. So again, we're both in the narrative department. So obviously you're pushing yourself to upgrade your skills and to learn. Have you tried anything else? Are there other ways you've upgraded your writing skills, your craft, your narrative design skills? So I find it's very funny that like everybody has their own kind of hangups. Uh, maybe not hangups is the word, but their own triggers for what they do. And I tend to write similar to what I see or read in the initial steps. And I used to use prompts, creative prompts, until I found that instead of writing from the prompt, I started writing prompts myself. I'm like, no, 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 man. You're supposed to use these prompts to create fiction, not create more prompts. It's it, right. Is I mean, seriously, it it really is like take what's there and just do the next thing with it. Um, so I have found that the that the prompts help me if I am strict enough to stay away from falling into the same bad habits. Um, but yeah, that and like try to write vastly different things and tell myself you're not going to publish this. You're not going to share this. You're not going to just, 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 you know, just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, which I, th- I think helps. I think it's certainly a nice way to really see what you're good at and what you like, uh, but with no pressure. That's a uh, excellent way to tell that you're actually a game dev at heart is because when you sit down to do it, you're like, I don't want to play. I want to figure out how to make it for totally. other people to do it. So, so that, that point is what I say about writing all the time. And I don't say this to dissuade anybody, but I think it's important to like to to acknowledge. I hear people say all the time, I want to be a writer because I love to read. And like nicely and quietly, I want to say, so you actually want to be a reader, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, I want to, I really love listening to music. So I want to be a musician. No, you, you want to go to concerts. Yep. Like I love playing video games. So I want to make games. No, you want to be a gamer. Like th- those are the things that, you know, those are the, it's okay to be a consumer, but that's the consumer side of it. You have to love the process of doing it. That's uh, something I struggled with a lot over the years. And then I've, I've taught my children and I taught, I, this is a topic that comes up with me a lot. It's kind of a passion thing. It's the balance between being a creator and a consumer. 
you have to consume a certain amount in order to have the, f- the fuel to be a, a relevant creator. But if you're spending all your time consuming, you don't have enough time and resources to be a creator. Right. Uh, and there's a place for all of them. There's a place for, for creators, curators, storytellers, sharers, performers. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever read Aaron Morganston's books, uh, like the, uh, the Sunless Sea, but there's this concept in her books of story creators, story keepers, and storytellers. And like it kind of places you along the the spectrum of, okay, I love stories, but do I love the act and work of making them? Do I love curating, protecting, sharing, and looking after them? Or do I like sharing them and performing them and being part of them? Like those are very different things with different skill sets. Right. And I think think everybody knows this too, as you get into it, you start to, you obviously start to see things in a different light than you used to, obviously with more of a critical eye. Uh, which is good and bad. I mean, you know, part of it too is as you're going through criticizing works that you once loved, but but trying to do it under the knowledge of trying to learn from it. You know, there is a little bit, there is a little bit of magic loss there, um, and that's disappointing in a way. But I think if you if you take it with the with the mindset of I want to appreciate what went into it, because I want to either mimic it or improve on it, um, you could remind yourself that you're not doing this to knock it. You're doing this to 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 uh, enhance it. One hundred percent. So we again back to the narrative department for a second. In taking that class, how has that impacted not just your writing but your approach to narrative design in general and game design in general? Even so, you said earlier in this in this chat. And you're right. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of technical game design in in me, right? Um, and I find it really ironic, but also empowering that I kind of learned most of that most of that internal strength from the narrative department, which you would think, you you know, you go into the you go into a class that's designed for writing, that you're going to walk out of there and say, oh, I'm the I'm the best writer I've ever been. And I actually do feel that way. I do feel that I'm I'm the best version of my writing self that I've been ever. Fantastic. But I also found that, hey, here are the pieces that I really do like. Mm-hmm. And what I think was really important, and I'm, I, I'm sure I said this to you, but I'll repeat it a million times. You go into a group of people where essentially you're all competing for the same thing. Like you all want the same end goal and there's not enough to go around. Mm-hmm. So whether you want to be competitive or not, and I do not want to be, I want to be collaborative, but you walk in with a fear that, hey, if I don't make my mark, I'm going to be left behind. And as soon as you, I should say, as soon as I entered that world of the narrative department and said to myself, I, I like, let's see what's there. I don't want to, I don't want to prejudge what I'm going to expect. Everything changed. And it was very much, it's not that I'm competing with these people. In fact, and I'm sure you could agree with this. Mm-hmm. What I see is I see what I'm good at and I see what Gerald's good at and I see what this person's good at and this person. And when those opportunities arise that are better suited for Gerald or someone else, I go to them and I'm like, hey, this is for you. And no, no longer are we competing. Now I'm finding your strength. And what I think is beautiful is I see people finding it in me and that's so endearing. Right, that's so nice to have somebody come to me and say, hey, "Mario, this looks like this fits you." And technically, me and you are fighting for it, but I don't think we are. I think this is you. And oh man, that is just so 
it's so special. It's really what it is just to be able to look at people and find their good and their strengths and say, yeah, we're all in the same swimming pool of narrative design or game writing or even the bigger, like in the pool, but at the house of game development. Yeah, yeah. But basically saying you're on this side, you're on this side, you're on this side, and that's what's best for you. I think that was really great to see in others and in myself too. Yeah. I, When I walked in the door, it was like, there's this welcoming community of people that you can just instantly connect with. But now after, I don't know how long we've been at it for now, like five months or whatever. Yeah. It's, it, there's family. Like yeah. you guys feel like family at this point. A hundred percent. I talk to you guys more than I do my own brothers. Like, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's why like it, it, it's, it's talking to you. I even said this to you before talking to you. We, we've done this chat we're having right now. We've done this five times already Yeah, for what, like 20 hours at least mm -hmm. cumulative hours of like deep talk, deep conversation. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to, yeah, it's a blessing to be able to do that. And the other cool thing that I found at least is Susan, she's teaching us narrative skills and design skills and writing. I mean, we're all, we all came into the class as writers already. That's kind of a prerequisite. Right. But she's also like the, one of the first things she said is here's the story stack and narrative is the least important, the most flexible. Go. Like we got to worry about all these other departments. we got to be able to collaborate and work. And so we're learning game design stuff and production stuff. And, and thanks to wonderful people like Nosh, we're learning marketing stuff. Like yeah. this, all this knowledge and it's like being inside of a, an actual studio with all these different people bouncing ideas around. It's um, electric sometimes. And you think being in a studio really, which you on the surface think is with 25, 30 writers, but it's not. It's 25, 30 collaborators where, yeah, we all like writing, we're all good at writing, but then there's these other skills, like you said, knowledge with marketing. Like there's that next level that each person brings that you're very much tied into and saying, hey, that's, I need help from you because you're, you're better at this than I am. And every single person is very willing to say, yeah, let's go, let's do it. A, a cool conversation that's come up numerous times now is that whole player agency versus lockdown narrative to create a specific experience. And we've had this conversation. We've had a big, large conversations. But for the sake of people listening, I, I, wanna, I want you to weigh in on it. How do you approach balancing player agency versus constraints for story? So that same, that same story of when I sat down at the, at the computer and was like, hey, you're a game writer now, go. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first thing that I, I did after just typing words to be able to move from zero to not zero was ask myself, how fast is the player going? And where is the player going? And why does the player need to go there? Um, and that all, that all boils down to the word that I use all the time, which is pacing. Pacing is everything in games. And you can use pacing for like, grand scale conversations or really, really minute within uh, from one piece of a quest to the next. But it's, it's the, it's the framework of how fast do you need the player to do something and how badly does the player on the couch want to do it? Because obviously you need, you need the motivations to work. You need the, the player on the couch to say, yes, I want to do this. However, back to the original thing we talked about, if I'm playing on the couch and I want to make my character trip and fall and see what happens and explore you know, the, the 
the possibilities within the boundaries. Mm-hmm. I should be able to do that as long as I know the consequences of that. And there are some games where, hey, if you go off the rails and you, you know, you, you mess something up because you got too cute with it, it's going to punish you. As long as you know what those boundaries are, that that's the beginning framework of player choice, player agency. It's really, it really is knowing the rules of the world that you're in. And then to your point of the story, stack where narrative comes last. Honestly, it's, it's, can you make the narrative work within those rules? Mm-hmm. And I always, I use this, always use the same example. You don't want to have a character come running up to another character and say, oh my God, my house is on fire. Like, can, can you, can you please meet me at this waypoint? And we'll go, you know, we'll go put the house out. We'll go put the fire out. Like, mm-hmm. do I have to? <laughs> and, and will the house burn, you know, forever if I decide to go feed the chickens first? And like, maybe yes, but what you're also doing is if you do that, you're establishing to the, to the player on the couch that there is an urgency that is, that is only existing inside the world of the game and you don't have to respect it. Now, maybe that's okay because again, we're talking rules. Some games are like their rule set is super wide and it's okay. The house can burn forever. You know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So the player, the player choice, the player agency is really the freedom to work within the rules that you're giving. And I, I will say too, like something that intrigues me all the time is tying player consequence with real life. I actually used this example um, with one of our mutual friends, Joe, yesterday. And I said to him, like, what I think is, is really, really fascinating is, you know, when you say something to another person, when I'm talking to you, Gerald, I know what you're, I, I know the immediate consequence of what I'm saying to you. I know if I call you a jerk right now in this moment, you might be taken back by that a little bit, right? But I don't actually know, I don't actually know the long-term consequence of that action. Mm-hmm. So what I really like is the idea of the player getting the on the surface obvious consequence. You know, you you say no to a character to an NPC, you say no to a character's request, you're going to get some sort of negative feedback. But what I love is what happens later. Maybe that character doesn't care. Maybe that character does. But you don't know that in the moment. All you know is the initial feedback. So again, what are the rules that everyone's playing in? It's very similar to the rules of life. I can't walk up to someone and punch them in the face. I can't. But I can say something to them. And I know what the first reaction is. I don't know what the long-term consequences are. That's a good way so right from the beginning, you were you were honoring the player fantasy without even being yeah. told or taught that. Yeah, and it really was. It really was honestly putting myself in the shoes of the of the player and the character, just saying like, mm-hmm. "What do I do? You know, what do I do as the character here?" And that's why it's important. If you want to write for games, you got to play games. Like, yeah, not all the time, but enough to know what you're doing and to understand the formula. Yeah. Moving on to something else for a second, because we mentioned Naj and marketing, networking, interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships is a huge part of getting into the industry, um, especially these days. So yeah. I'm just curious, what kind of stuff do you do as far as networking? What have you seen work, not work? So I hated the word networking like most people. So mm-hmm. I think it's actually very helpful to lead with that. Yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, I think it's helpful to lead with that, though, because it's a really off-putting word and can 
just put up a wall right away. Um, but what I found is people have said this phrase, a lot of people said this in the narrative department, you probably said it too. I, in fact, you've definitely said it. Like you just want to meet cool people mm-hmm. and have cool conversations. And if you just say that, it changes everything. And I didn't even think that was a thing. I really, again, like, you know, my path has been all over the place where essentially like I've met all of these different NPCs mm-hmm. and I don't know what, what, what they're really doing for the main quest of my life. I just know how they make, how they make me feel in that moment. And when you're networking, I think, I think people expect it to be that I'm going to meet this person. They're going to give me the actual quest that's going to help me achieve what I need in my life. And we keep going, right? And it's not that. It is, it's the opposite. It is, it is the NPC that you just gain a little bit of meeting cool people from. Um, so what I found that works, honestly, is 100% you have to be you, have to be yourself. And it sounds, super, it, it sounds super cliche, but like, think about it the other way around. Imagine you come off, imagine you're like as bad as, bad as this is to say, like a really dull person. But you come off as super boisterous and you're like, oh, I want to talk to everyone. I want to, you know, and you and you connect with someone who's who appreciates a boisterous personality. Are you going to keep that up forever? Are you going to for the rest of your life pretend to be someone you're not? You can't. So you go in with who you are. And what you really do is you find people who like that type of person. That's it. I have I have noticed that when I, I type with a lot of exclamation points, I talk a lot, obviously. Uh, I talk loud, obviously. Um, so I tend to connect with people who also talk loud, who also use exclamation points, who also will shout in all caps to be funny. And that's who I connect with. And I will connect with them by shouting in all caps with exclamation points. And they are the people who are most likely to get in a conversation with me. You bet. That's how you find your tribe, dude. That is, that is, and I, you know, it is, you, you know, you, you don't, weed out people you almost weed in people you're like these are the people who i enjoy spending time talking to that's it and then that becomes your new tribe yeah people self-select yes um i used to work uh in marketing in like big corporations and i used to work in the energy industry so when the networking word used to mean you go to these events you show up in a suit you hand out your cards you shake hands and you have a formula and a script and that exists and it's horrible Yeah. This is just making friends. You're just making friends. It is meeting cool people. That's what people have said to me. I didn't believe it until I started doing it. And then you walk away and you're like, that was such a fun conversation with that person. And that's all you ask for. That's all it is, man. Yeah. Hanging out. Yeah. Okay. So another topic that comes up in class every now and then, uh, especially recently, is testing narrative. Ways to test to see if the narrative is doing what you want it to do. And we're still playing with the concept. Um, there's some talks out there. Some there's some work out there on it. But I'm curious, what's your thoughts? Have you tried anything that you see works? So uh, it, it's as you just said, it's something we're constantly working with, right? That 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 feels like the the clay that we're molding as we go. Um, what I the first thing I've done is, and it it actually happened. It's funny how it came about. Um, I wrote something, gave it to my creative director. She had gone to a uh, in in person event. People were playing the game. She came back, like you know, to the team. Hey guys, I you know I got I got feedback. I got all these things to tell you. Um, she's going through the stuff and doesn't mention the, the dialogue at all. Hmm. Okay, I'm not bothered or insulted. I'm just, you know, if you have feedback, I'm waiting for it. Right. 
So I talked to her afterwards, uh, you know, one-on-one. I'm like, I don't really care if this is the answer, but like, were people skipping the dialogue? And she's like, yeah, and I didn't know how to tell you. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't care. I skip the dialogue. Yeah. I skip scenes all the time. Like, playing a game is not, you're not reading a book. You are not committing to doing one thing the entire time. So, um, so that became a really big thing to me, which is like, can you tell the story without without ever reading the dialogue ever? Um, and I think that's the first way you kind of test it is like you have to assume the player will do nothing that you want. Meaning if the guy's house is on fire, they may not go put it out. What happens? Mm-hmm. If the answer is that you can't continue the game, okay, that's fine. But then you must make that abundantly clear. So that like, and, and Susan's talked about that too. Like, can you tell a story without words? Um is really kind of that that's it in a nutshell can you um and then the second part of it that i've done and i've done this with a lot of writing that isn't necessarily games uh anyone who reads anything i write and wants to help with feedback i ask the same question tell me where you got bored Mm -hmm. tell me where you just stopped listening tell me where you repeated reading a line that's it i i don't need you to tell me why i don't need i don't care what you think of the characters when you stopped reading that's the point we have to fix something so it's almost like if you were playing the cutscenes and the dialogue when did you start skipping it yeah but that's a skill that comes from being an experienced writer like a junior writer needs to be told okay here's why i stopped but right people with experience yeah once you know where you can you can investigate and sniff it out totally And, and by the way i'm sure you know this the more you write the more you realize where your soft spots probably are. And almost every time when someone comes back to me and they say, this is where I got bored every single time. I'm like, I knew it. I yeah. just couldn't trust it. You know, I knew it. Yeah. So eventually you learn to just trust it. That's a pretty universal experience, especially yeah. any art is like that. Yeah. A complete tangent off of the whole telling story without words. It wasn't until I took this class that I realized I, I have this thing for environmental storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, Games where you can pick up the story just from things that are left in the environment. Uh, that I just I didn't realize how much I love it, but I play games with that. Like pretty much ninety percent of what I play is stuff where you're wandering around and you're uncovering story rather than. Do you event. find that you would want to make that, or do you or, find that you would appreciate living in it? I've already started. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the question of like, do I want to be a consumer of it or a recreator oh, no. of it? No, I'm, I'm, I've been a DM. I've been creating worlds since True. I was 10 years old, like on a daily basis. So no, it's, that's so that's hardwired into my DNA at this point. Yeah. Did you find, I know we're going off now on tangent of tangent, but again, we'll bring it back. Do you find, or did you find that the world building exercises and lessons from the narrative department really hit home? Because I found that to be fascinating for me, where, where we were talking about basically how you use technology in the world uh, and technology doesn't just mean computers. It just means mm-hmm. the tools. Like how did that, how did that relate to you or how did that hit you? That's it's a fantastic exercise. Um, okay. I, I have done world building for so long and read so many books and taken so many courses. I've seen that exercise and done that exercise probably eight times now. Yeah. It's a fantastic exercise. And every time I do it, I use it on a new world so that I'm always creating something fresh. Um, there are other ones that I prefer personally. Sure. And 
there's different ways to attack that one. You can come at it from a macro, like large scale view of here is this continent and I want to there, or you can come at it from here's a person's story and then I want to expand out from there. I love it all so much that yeah. I'll do it all. Like that's part of my daily writing meta daily writing practice is world building. Like I work that in every single day. So I have a whole filing cabinet dedicated to the world I've created. So it, it, it's good. It's great. If you haven't done a lot of world building, it's a fantastic entry point, but the rabbit yeah. hole goes so much deeper. I, I, listen, that's, that's, that's why I asked the question because you really realize what's, <laughs> what's being uncovered in that moment. And you're like, there's, oh, there's yeah. a lot here. There's a lot I could do. Now, if you were to say, okay, Gerald, you can only do one thing in the industry, it would be world building. Like, really? That's, yeah. 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 I would let someone else do the quest and the level. And the, I, I love mechanics. I love design. I love all of it. But world building would be my, my that's my Very nice. Very nice. Okay. We're getting close. So we're kind of, yeah. let's put a little end cap on here. Can you share an anecdote, a funny story, something that happened along the way that is somehow relevant to your journey into video game writing maybe there's some wisdom attached to it yes the i wrote this funny because i wrote this down as like a, don't forget to say this and i and i use it already so i'll make it quick it was the it was the the heavy rain experience is something that like really stuck with me um because it it, it you know what? i'll use the other one that i had actually as a backup it was also in mass effect um i became i felt as if a I felt as a human being as if I became friends with Tally and Tally became someone that I would, I would think about randomly and be like, I wonder what Tally's up to today. Um, the same way I would want to pick up the phone and like text you, Gerald, like this is Tally's another friend of mine. And those types of, maybe really what I'm getting at is taking something out of a game, putting it into your personal filing, filing system in your mind and recalling it randomly that is what we want to do as storytellers. That's what, that's all we ask for, right? It's like when you, when you're, when you're reading a book, the moment the moment air quotes is when you take the book and you put it away from your face for a moment and you just lean back and you just exhale, right? Like that's the moment every author wants is they want a reader to be like, and for, for, you know, a game writer, game designer, it's the moment where you're, you're not playing the game. You're like, I wonder what Tally is doing. Mm-hmm. And that that prevalent, like, recycling in my mind of the heavy rain moment, what's Tally up to, things like that. Um, I remember, like, the need to finish Fallout 3. I'm not a big finisher of games, but I had to finish Fallout 3. I had to do it. Like, those away from the screen moments are the things that have carried me through that I'm like, when I'm writing something, that's what I want to deliver. That's, that's, that's it. That's what I'm trying to give to the player. Nice. Yeah. Okay. We are at the point in this podcast where I ask the question that lives at the heart of the podcast. And that is, in my opinion, there's this magical sacred space where game designers, writers, coders, performers, musicians, all sorts of people can come together and just hang out, get along. In your opinion, what is the magical thread that holds all this together? Before I was even invited onto your podcast, Gerald, I've heard you ask this question a million times. And I've always said, well, how would I answer this? What, what do I want to say? And every single thing comes back to the same word. It's connection. It's connection between audience and medium. 
connection between the player in the game and the character, player on the couch and the NPC. There, like, it is, it's between, like, you know, the the listener and the musician, the watcher and the dancer. It's like, it is the connection between two different people in two different time frames, two different worlds, two like literally two different worlds, a fictional world and real life. And being able to, for a brief moment, like plug in and say, we are, we are feeling the same thing. We are experiencing the same thing. And whether I agree or disagree, we are sharing that moment together. It is, it, it is connection at every, on every level. That's a fantastic answer, dude. Oh, it's been like 10 episodes in the making, so don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Considering how important connection is to the human animal, what does that mean for storytellers? What, In your opinion, why are storytellers and stories important then? Because when you start, usually, 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 I would imagine you start off at a young age and you're sitting with your friends. I always go back to like, we set the scene of me, you, and a, and a wanderer sitting in front of a fire. The other scene I always think of is me and a couple of friends at like a restaurant. And you're talking to the person, you're, you're talking to, there's voices going back and forth, right? There's like, everyone's telling their own thing. And then slowly but surely, somebody's voice ends up being the one you're listening to. And a couple others start to lower down and you start to hone in on, and like, there's five people there, all four other people start turning to you and they want to hear what you have to say. And you're able to read the reaction of four different people in that moment. And you're saying like, are they waiting for something funny? Are they waiting for something dramatic? Are they waiting for the big payoff of the story? And you're honestly, you're, you're, you're not embellishing, but you're choosing which details to share to deliver the message properly. So it is, it is, the, the storytelling element is like really innate to connecting with people because that's your ability to say, Hey, in this moment, I have your attention. You have my attention and we are delivering a message back and forth to each other. It may sound like I'm talking to you, but you are receiving it. Like we are connecting and I'm able to, or we're all able to like massage that properly to get it through. That makes sense. Yeah. Communication. That's it. That's all writing is. Yeah. Just delivering a message. And communication is is connection because all communication requires two people or more. Yep. So. Yep. Okay. So almost time to head out the door. Quick fire round. You down? Yes. Yes. All right. What are you currently playing? The Long Dark. I was ready for that one because I told <laughs> you from the beginning I've been dying in the Long Dark like constantly. <laughs> uh, I've also been playing Hades a little bit because because people were telling me how great mm -hmm. um, how great it is and I'm enjoying it for sure. But the Long yeah, Dark has so. been. Can I survive a week? And the answer has been no. Have you tried any other of those walking uh songs? Oh, which types? I almost doubt I can't remember the name of it. I almost downloaded the one that Crow said because it was despite me asking you for something not scary, you recommended one that literally said terrifying in yeah, the title. No, so thank you. I was kidding. Do not tell Sons <laughs> of the Forest if you don't like horror. The description said a terrifying, and I was like, well, this is not what I asked. So no, yeah, I, I haven't tried any others yet. Stranded was, Deep is actually the other survival one I've been doing. Uh, yeah. She suggested Raft, didn't she? It was Raft, and there was another one. I have it in my, I think I have it in my wish list, actually. Cool. Raft was one of them. Yeah, no, Sons of the Forest starts out feeling like it's just another survival creator walking, or um, crafting walking sim, and then suddenly it turns. <laughs> What's it terrifying? I was like, they're not even going to hide it. Why is Gerald hiding it? <laughs> <But yes. laughs> I'm a jerk. 
What are you currently <laughs> reading? So I, I actually enjoy reading to my kids a lot. They are they are right now into the Percy Jackson series and Animorphs, which is a series that I read when I was younger. Um, I've got to read all of the Animorphs to my older daughter. I'm now reading it to my younger daughter. Uh, so Percy Jackson and Animorphs are the two. We're on we're on the Trials of Apollo right now. Um, is what I'm reading every night, honestly. There you go. You read yeah. and read every day. Yep. Yep. It's What's fun. the best piece of advice you ever got? Not directly given to me, but James Altucher once wrote, delete every other line of your writing. So write your article, delete every other line of it. And you'd be amazed at how much time you spend just doubling back on your own thoughts. And when you delete it, sure, you're cutting your word count in half, but you're getting to the point like really concisely. And I found that to be frighteningly accurate, actually, to the point that I hate doing these. I'm like, he's so right, but I'm going to lose all these words. And uh, again, it's it's the right approach. Cool. I'm going to try that sometime. This, yeah. yeah, that takes a little bit of bravery, though. It does. It very much. All right. If you could host a game with any four people, living or dead, first of all, who would the four people be? But second of all, what would you play? And this for you, it could even be a sport. Ah, I like that. Uh, so, okay. I thought about this one. The first person I always answer is actually Derek Jeter. He is he's my guy, my hero. Um, second one is Kay Applegate, Catherine Applegate, who wrote the Animorph series. Okay. And I actually would like to just literally sit down with her, shake her hand and say thank you. Because from my youth, to be able to read those books to my kids and read, I mean, we've, there's like 55 books in this series. It took me about a year and a half to read it with my older daughter. To have that experience right now with my younger daughter, and I'm sure again with my son, very special. And so just like to say thank you to her for that. Um, Drew Carpetian, who wrote much of Mass Effect and, and all the Mass Effect books that I actually have read. Um, and the person is actually my gramps, my mom's father who passed away uh, six years ago. I was very close with him. We talked baseball all the time. So I would love, first I'd love for him to talk with Derek Jeter too. That would be a wild uh, interaction. Um but yeah, those four people, Derek Jeter, Kay Applegate, Drew Carpishan, and my Gramps. Nice. Um, and the game we'd play would actually be Uno. Oh. Because I've had some very fun experiences. Just Also, that's like a game where you can kind of tweak the rules. And I always play it. If somebody puts down a, a, a plus two, mm -hmm. if you have a plus, you could, you could add to it. And if the next person does, so like if, you, if there's four people in a row with plus fours, you're going four, eight, 12, 16. And like person at the end gets 16 cards. Apparently that's not the rules, but that's how we play. Yeah, I heard that. And I don't think Uno knows what they're talking about their rules. Exactly. So, yeah. For the guy who read the rules, I'm changing that one. Uh, that's my quick fire. That's it. In fact, that's the whole thing. Um, before we turn the fire down and close the doors, my friend, I'm going to give you the last word. Got a bit of wisdom or something crazy? Yeah, I touched on this earlier, but I do think it's worth repeating. Um, whatever you want to do, and, and and that changes, as we've said, like, you go on these branches, you go on these paths, and you really try to learn from everything you do. Try to try to find joy and, and happiness and fun in everything you do. But whatever you actually want to make your, your main branch, you have to love the process of it. You have to love the experience of the process. You can love the output, of course, and you can love the idea, of course, but it's never going to come, come through from start to finish if you don't love the middle. And that is the hardest part, honestly, for most things you'll do. So fall in love with the middle of something and then make that make that be your your uh, your main path, your main trunk. 
As the candles burn low and the spiders start to respawn in the cellar, it's time to close up shop. First, a huge thank you to Mario for sharing your wisdom and insights. And as always, thank you, dear listener, for taking a spot at the table. Be sure to tune in next time when I sit down with Jessica Slowinski from Something Wicked Games. We will be tackling the first of the four lenses from the art of game design as part of my ongoing series on this seminal textbook. So, if you enjoyed today's tale, don't forget to cast the spell of review, tell your fellow adventurers, and subscribe so that you are attuned to the whisperings of inspiration. Until next time, fellow adventurers, may your stories be bold, your games immersive, and your dreams within reach. Stay safe, Wanderer. Your chair will be ready by the fire the next time you stop by the corner of story and game. <laughs>